0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, hey friends, I'm so glad to see you, it's good to be home. There is a New Yorker cartoon, Uh, there's a horse at a bar, long face, right, that's um, and he has a martini in front of him, he's talking to a woman, it's not a female horse, it's just a, just a human lady. And he says, sometimes the loneliness is just unbearable. And the caption below it says, one horse town. So, um, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Um, but, uh, you know, I have been really thinking about loneliness, um, Particularly as I've been meditating this week on on 1 John, and, and um, I've I um, I've come across some articles lately that have basically said that the psychologists and sociologists and these experts of all varieties say that, that we're sort of experiencing this epidemic of loneliness. And I don't know if you, um, it, what you particularly think about that or experience in that, but and I don't necessarily mean like aloneness, like people live alone. You can have a happy life. I, I'm extroverted in some ways and I, I love being alone, you know, but um, but loneliness, that sense uh, where you're where you're feeling like you're completely isolated, you're shut out, you're no one gets it. I mean, you can walk into a crowded room and feel completely alone if you've had that experience. Uh, I guess it was a couple of years ago, it was before a Barons game and I was supposed to meet some uh, people for a function. I thought I was going to know a lot of people there. So I was I was going to this thing. It was good people, and I thought I was going to know a lot of people there. And I walked in, and I only knew a couple of people there. And they were off doing something else. And I, there's all these people in this room. There's probably four or five times this number of people that are here. And they all look like they're having a great time. And I didn't know anybody. And it was just kind of me and my brown ale. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a... It was, which is fine, but it wasn't, um, but it wasn't, uh, I just felt alone. Like, I felt, I felt lonely. You felt, feel, lead out. A church can be like that. Cleveland Commons in the morning could be, I mean, if you walk in, you don't know anybody, and everybody looks like they're happy, and they know everybody, it can be a lonely place. Um, you know, marriage, marriage can be lonely. If it's not working out, like, you know, you're 20 years in, and it's just not what you, uh, sort of expected, um, uh, it can be great, I mean, I hope it is great, but it, but it can be lonely uh, mother 's day and Amy Amy said at first, I thought gosh loneliness that 's sort of a downer for for mother 's day, thanks a lot but um, but uh, but you know mother 's day can be lonely so I mean not a, if, if your mother 's situation, either your mom or yourself as a mother i mean if it 's just not what you hope for you, you're, you've, your mother died last year or you weren 't able to ha- get pregnant or whatever it is, whatever the situation mother 's day can be. A, or Father's Day, or Christmas. I mean, this can be lonely times. Um, I read an article one time called Why, How Facebook Ruined My Life, and so I, I tried to remember that. I was thinking about and so I googled it, and I found an article called How Facebook Ruined My Life, and an article called 10 Reasons Why Facebook Ruined My Life, and another article called 16 Ways That Facebook Has Ruined My Life, and it kind of went on uh, from there. Uh, because, you know, people, you know, we've talked about this before, but you don't put up the, the 30 pictures getting to the perfect family picture. You put up the, the perfect family picture or the, you know, the perfectly organized closet. Now if I, if I posted a picture of my closet, I mean, I'd lose all my friends, right? So um, it just, you know, you, there's this sense of, uh, of isolation and, uh, I, like, nobody gets me and nobody is where I am. Um, and ultimately, you know, we just, we feel... Uh, alone, we feel lonely because we have a, its a lack of people knowing us, or feeling like we can really share, or uh, feeling that like no one understands. Um, you feel like you're the only one who's going through what you're going through. Like every alcoholic feels like they're—they're they're the only one that—that that is going through what they're going. Every alcoholic feels that. I mean, like it's—it's it's, they're all going through that. That's why AA is such a great organization because they finally realize, oh my gosh, I'm not—I'm not alone so i 've been, I've been wondering about this as i 've been looking at first John, and um, as, we, as we begin first John uh, and looking back at this passage, you, you can see that John is typical John, right, whether' the Gospel of John or or the letters or even in some ways revelation he 's faith, love, obedience I mean that's, those are that 's John 's bread and butter, and all those are right at the front and center of this passage. Faith, love, and obedience. He says, uh, everyone who believes, everyone who who trusts, everyone who has faith, it's all the same word group in Greek, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And so we see that love for God necessitates love for God's people. And, And John continues, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and we obey his commands. Well, I mean we know we can we can look at the, at the ministry of Jesus and know that his commands we can boil all of the commandments of God down to and we said him tonight, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So we call that the summary of the law and and, and so we see that that, that our, his commands do this, don't do that is really it's not so much about what you are to do and not to do, but how you are to love God and love His people. And, and, and so much that, I mean, following these commands are important, but it's, it's, it's not because God, it's, it's where Officer Jesus is up there going, trying to, waiting to catch you, you know, doing the wrong thing, but just because we're blessed to, we're, to respond to and, and to reflect God's nature and His character in, in the world. So we want to honor God and we want to love God's people. And and so far, I hadn't talked anything about loneliness, right? So, um, in fact, if you are feeling that way, if you're feeling isolated, if you're feeling on the outside, like you've got this secret that just is is gnawing, just constantly haunting you, or it's guilt or it's it's shame, or you feel like you don't fit in for whatever reason at the Thanksgiving table or in church or work or whatever it is, and. I mean to hear that you have to love God and obey His commands is is not good news. It's good advice, but it's not good news. Advice is something else for you to do, and and so it's anything but good news. Because it's just you know if you're if you're down the dumps because you're feeling alone, it's just great. You know one more thing for me to fail at. I don't know if that sounds a little dark, but I, I don't know if you feel that way. So how does this passage address? loneliness. I find it in verse 4, where John says, for everyone who has been born of God, remember verse 1, that's everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So, you can say that, well, that's another requirement, I have to have so much faith that I can overcome the world. Well, not so fast. Because this same author, John, in, in his Gospel, chapter 16, says on the lips of Jesus, right? Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have what? Overcome the world. And so this, this same, these same words that Jesus says, I have overcome the world, John says, are yours as well and mine as well. That If you believe in Christ, then you have overcome the world. And I have to say that I mean this this is um, that victory of Christ that belongs to us and this is just one part of what theologians call our union with Christ our union with Christ. I've been a Christian for 25 years almost to the day and uh, it's, it's almost my rebirth day and um, and I um, and I have, a seminary education, and I have been a preacher and a pastor for uh, nine years, and I, I feel like I'm just starting to scratch the surface of what it means that we have union with Christ. I, I sort of treated it and sort of preached it like a, like a diploma, like I, I'm a C student, but I was given summa cum laude, and now it's hanging on my wall, and I have this distinction, I want to honor that distinction and make sure that I live like a summa cum laude. I mean that's kind of how I've I've, uh, approached it thank you so much I'm not not really that but I um, but I have to live like that now but what John is saying is that the whole victory the whole victory of God in Christ is mine and is yours he overcame the world and so if therefore if you are in Christ then you also have overcome the world that's It's kind of heady, so I I recently came across a passage uh, in a book called Holiness by Grace, and um, uh, the author's name is Brian Chapel. I'm going to read you a passage. It's a little, sort of a long passage, so so hang with me. But man, it just really revolutionized how I I think about this. He says, "Even as I realize that the identity I tried to establish by obedience to the law is dead." The life Jesus lived to fulfill the law is mine. His life is in me. And thus I am united with him. I gain the benefits of his being. I gain his reputation, his standing with God, and the credit for his righteousness. Because Christ lives in me, I, who was dead apart from him, live. His life is mine. I do not, and I should not, uh, claim to be God, but He grants me the privilege of His Son's status by virtue of my union with Christ. Now that's, so far we're still, we're still with the diploma on the wall. But here's what he says. The spiritual reality, per, this spiritual reality, permits me once again to look through the eyes of Jesus at the events of Scripture. I can see a crowd gathered on another mountainside prior to Calvary. And though Jesus preaches to them of the righteousness of God and his kingdom, the wisdom of this sermon on the mount is mine. Another time a man approaches Christ with torment of spirit and body. And Jesus commands a legion of devils to come come out of him, but the victory is mine. As the Savior approaches a small town, the The widow or a widow comes toward him in a funeral procession. The coffin bears the body of her only son. And Christ touches the coffin despite its ceremonial uncleanness, and her son rises. The compassion and power of that act are mine. In a wilderness, Satan approaches and tempts God with allurements that would satiate pleasure, power, and pride. Jesus resists him with the word of God, and the righteousness of that resistance is mine. All of the credit for Christ's sermons, his miracles, his resistance of evil, and his suffering for good is mine. How can this be, since I certainly am not personally personally responsible for any of these activities, nor am I deserving of any of the credit? His righteousness is mine because Christ's life is in me. His whole life is in me. He supplies my identity because God has made him my life. And I've just I've never thought about looking back into the events of Scripture as, as if they were mine and that and that's that level of unity. Uh, in Christ. But do you see how this addresses loneliness? I mean, Jesus said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And that so it's not just like in case you need it, to get you over the hump. Take Jesus off the shelf and blow him off and you know it, when that's emergency break glass, you know, get Jesus out of the, the box. It's a, actually like like everything that he ever accomplished is yours and you are bound to Him. He is alive. And that's the Easter proclamation. That you are in Him now and He is in you and you have a unity that is incomparable and almost incomprehensible. So like if you're you're feeling like no one understands you or they don't understand what you're going through, let me tell you, Jesus understands. He's in it With you. He is for you. He is alive. And He is with you. If you're feeling overwhelmed, listen, the victory, you've already overcome the world. So now it's just a matter of addressing the issue, but you've already overcome the world. You're feeling isolated. You belong to the very one who died utterly alone on the cross. He gets it. He is for you. He is with you. He is alive in you. If you're feeling like you have failed, friend, it is already died for. The price is paid. It's finished. And so Jesus now is with you and He will walk through the consequences of that failure with you and He will even use it for your good. There is no part of your life that Jesus doesn't get. He loves you. He loves you. He has bound Himself to you both in His death and His resurrection. And we were, Every time we're lonely or any, anything anything else, but every time we're lonely, we return to this truth over and over again. We preach the Gospel to ourselves. Jesus is mine. In just a minute, we'll have communion. The great symbol of the church... Uh, that lifts up this unity that we have in Christ. He is in us and we in Him. It's not just our one moment of the week where we intersect with Christ. It's a symbol that we're always with Christ. He's always in us and we always are uh, in Him. But you know what else? It frees us. If, If we're so secure in Christ, He is with us always. It frees us to love our neighbor even when they don't get it. Even when they don't get us and what we're going through even when they don't treat us fairly or kindly. John says we love God by obeying His commands and His commands aren't burdensome. I actually, I'm no Greek scholar, but I don't think there should be a period there. in Verse 3. It's not, we love God and obey by obeying His commands and by the way, they're not burdensome. Yes, they are burdensome. We love God when we obey Him and they're not burdensome. Like, like this morning, I... Um, I put flowers out for Amy for Mother's Day before I left, and and that wasn't a burden. I mean, you know, I didn't do it so she wouldn't get mad. No, maybe if I hadn't, she would have gotten mad. But, you know, like, I didn't put it out because, oh, gosh. Like, I got it because I loved her. It wasn't a burden. I was happy to buy those flowers. When we come into that relationship with Christ, we obey His commands because we love Him. Grace creates what the law wants. So let me me conclude with this quote from uh, Martin Luther. He said, we conclude, therefore, that a Christian lives not in himself, but in Christ and his neighbor. Otherwise, he is not a Christian. He lives in Christ through faith, in his neighbor through love. By faith, he is caught up beyond himself into God. By love, he descends beneath himself into his neighbor. Yet always, he remains in God. And in His love. Heavenly Father, we just thank You for Your love for us. Thank You that You are with us always, even to the end of the age. And we pray, Lord God, for Your mercy to be unto us. Let us preach the Gospel to ourselves daily. Remember that we have overcome the world in You. That Your victory is our victory. Let us love like You love. And be united like You have united uh, Yourself to us. Let us forgive like You have forgiven us. We pray, God, that it would be uh, not so that we may gain Your favor, but because we have gained Your favor by Your grace. Thank You that we are united to You. Convince us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.